How y'all doing tonight? What's up? I know y'all got way more energy. It's nice as hell outside. Y'all awful work. What's going on? That's what's up. All right, so before we kick things off, uh, I kind of want to go down the list of panelists that we have. We got a lot of power players, a lot of people with some forward thinking going on in the culture, so I think it's best to let you guys introduce yourselves. So we'll just go straight down the line. We'll start with you first. Cool. Um, my name is Darian McCall. I am the marketing manager at Afropunk. Um, I manage the digital strategy, um, travel, uh, partnerships, and a number of other things. I'm happy to be with you guys. Daytavio Samuels, happy to be here, uh, representing Urban One. Uh, I run I1 Digital, so we are the largest black digital media platform in the digital space. So we have brands like Bossip, Global Grind, Hip Hop Wire, Cassius, a lot of those brands that you guys know. And then also run an agency inside of it called One Solution and a branded content studio called One X, all of whom are represented here, so happy to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm Yaya Mazurkovich Nunez, uh, part of Translation Enterprises, United Masters, Stash San Francisco. Um, I'm an experiential producer, but heavy into creative, into strategy, and mainly like all things kind of woman. I'm David Ponte. I'm a CMO and co-founder of AudioMac. It's a music discovery and streaming site and app. Hello, uh, my name is Nigel Mack, uh, VP of Urban A&R Republic Records. Work with a few artists, also on the management side, work with a couple of dope artists, so that's it. cool so the way that I want to kick this off um, we're talking about tech we're talking about music and we're talking about the convergence of the two and how that's reflecting across culture right now but I think that we all throw around this word culture we like to say the culture without really putting any context around what that actually means um, culture is defined as the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively so when we talk about the culture a lot of times we're talking about hip hop culture, right? That's, that's kind of that's what we're a part of, that's what we was raised on, that's, how we, that's, that's the flavor that we have, right? So we're in a special moment right now with culture. Um, hip hop is the number one genre in music. It makes up, as of January, 25% of uh, music consumption out of all genres. So we're in a place right now where we're not just, you know, it's not just hip hop culture. Hip hop culture is, is pop culture. And pop culture is an American identity. So we're in a space now where we're kind of dictating what the world sees us as on a human level. So I want to ask you guys, since you guys have such important roles in platforms that kind of that, that, that mold that image, um, what specifically in your roles, how are you guys helping to, how have you guys helped usher the culture into this new era that we're in right now? And what I want to do with these questions is we'll just start in a row just like this. And the minute y'all say something I like, I'm just going to pick it apart. That's cool? Yeah. All right. So we'll start with you. All right, cool. So um, in my role, I work uh, with Afropunk. Afropunk was started um, to really bring together uh, black youth that were in spaces that they were no, not, not necessarily seen to be in. Um, so it was plugging into these youth and creating a community of people that um, shared the same, um, shared the, shared the same 
um, ideas or, or enjoyed the same music. Um, and since then, we have um, then broadened that up a bit. Um, and the way that we push it for, further um, is that we stay uh, be, um, ahead of the curve so that we are creating stories that really encapsulate what blackness means. Um, it's not just hip hop, it's not just um, what people have told our stories to be, but really getting ahead of it so that it is something that we own. We're a black owned company, so we own the stories, we tell the stories, we are able to identify um, young creatives that might not necessarily have like a number-based um, influence, but are ahead of the curve and are one, one day will um, launch off the pad. Um, so for example, there's a number of artists, for example, SZA, who had a great year last year that started with Afropunk. So being able to be a part of that conversation before everyone else is having that conversation really has been kind of our sweet spot. So there's probably going to be a lot of overlap. Um, given that we're a dot-com, first thing we do is we cover the culture, right? So we are actively watching what's going on in the culture and then putting our distinct point of views on it, attacking it from each individual brand's perspective. Um, we create the culture, so we also do a lot of dope original work. Um, to your point earlier, we believe that black culture is mainstream culture, so the opportunity to create our own um, pieces that we deposit into the culture and show where we think mainstream culture should go. Um, we incubate culture, so being in spaces like this is super important for us. We're often trying to find out kind of who's next and who's dope. Uh, we have a huge platform. Uh, we're also inside of the same company that has TV One, 56 radio stations, hip-hop, R&B, uh, gospel news, reach media, so everybody from Ricky Smiley to Russ Parr. So the opportunity to identify who's next and then give them a platform to pop is something that uh, we believe that we do for the culture. And then the last piece is just monetizing the culture and making sure that the people who help create the culture get to benefit from it. So we just believe that there are a bunch of culture vultures out there, people at the top that may have the resources, that see the culture, that want to commercialize it, but don't deposit back into the culture and make sure the same content creators um, see the benefit. Uh, we get to connect people to brands and hopefully make sure that those people get checks and those people get the awareness and those people get the, the uh, love and respect and the money, most importantly, that they deserve for the, for the role that they're playing in, in culture creation. So I'd like to say that I feel like the word culture is mainly overused by people that don't understand it. Um, and where I work, our main thing is pushing culture forward. And what that means to us is actually taking pieces from our lifestyles and actually amplifying them and make them ripple through culture. So one of the latest things that we've done um, is Biggie Breakfast. And it's where we took some lyrics from a Biggie song and it actually started uh, kind of like a charity event, but mainly uh, to give back to the community through food. So it's cheese, eggs, and watches grape. I'm sure you're all familiar with the lyrics. Um, so two years ago, one of my coworkers walked into the office and he's like, yo, it's Biggie's birthday. We got to do this. And I'm like, all right. So we did that in under 48 hours. Um, and then th we fed over 100 people. And then two years later, we were able to get uh, a partner who, is, who was a uh, sweet chick. I was actually out of the country for this, but they killed it. We got a bigger site to do it, um, fed over 100 people. It was an amazing experience, but that's just like a small example of what we believe in and how we want to actually impact community. Um, our agency is also black owned. Um, and like I said earlier, like the main goal is to always amplify the positive aspects of the culture that we live in. Um, and when the people that are making the ads that are rolling through your TV, because that is our main, you know, breadwinner as translation, are it's advertising. Um, 
it's important that the people that are making these ads for the people that they want to speak to look like them, breathe like them. I, for one, am a minority, so I, I know how to speak to these people, and so do a lot of my other coworkers. And we put a very big focus in um, our majors and minors program, which is basically not just focusing on the job title that you have. So, okay, you're an account director, but what do you do outside of work that actually impacts your work? Do you like playing dodgeball? Whatever it might be, it can affect your work, and we can put you onto the projects that are actually right, the right fit for you. So culture is overall all-encompassing in our business, and um, hopefully more people, well, more agencies and more um, people in the realm and what we work can actually follow the model of like bringing what your life is outside of your work into the actual office. That was a good answer. <laughs> Probably better than my answer. Um, I mean, AudioMac is a platform, so you know, 300,000 artists use AudioMac, put their music up, embed their YouTube videos, share the links. Um, so we just have a large scale, a large reach of people that go onto the app every day, go onto the website every day, uh, and the you know, it's up to the artist, up to the account owner to you know share their culture with all the people who visit that app or site. Um, on the other side, we also have a studio, AudioMac Studios up in Soho, and we give artists uh, from New York, all over the world, the opportunity to go in there, use the recording studio for free. We have videographers, we have photographers come, create content with them, put it on our YouTube, uh, you know, share it. Uh, DJ Booth is our sister company, so we, use, we work with them, and they uh, you know, certainly have their, their voice out there that is respected by a lot of people. Uh, so we work with them uh, uh, on, on that end as well. Um, but really, it's just a platform with a, that, uh, you know, a good amount of people go to. And you know, because we have that reach, because we have, because we have that marketing prowess, you know, it enables a lot of our uh, artists to share uh, their music uh, and, and with our video, share their video with all the people that visit those channels. Wow, man, everybody had great answers. <laughs> all right, well. I work more so on the label side, the management side. And I would say for A&R, it's changed because, you know, there was a time in the business where A&Rs were basically just chase hype. You know, I, I call them like ambulance chases. But that era is like over. You got to really, like my role really is artist development because that's my background. Finding artists early, developing them, helping them through the major label system, and taking them worldwide. So I feel like the concept of A&R now is expanded, not just making records. You have to understand how culture moves. And you have to see it before it happens. And you basically really, really, really have to be involved in the creative culture and involved in the artist community. You can't ignore it. Because there was a time when labels controlled everything. Like if you were an artist, you had to go to a label to go to stu get studio, to get radio, to get this and that and the third. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just make music from the crib drop it on SoundCloud or AudioMac and you lit like in like two months or even like a week, all the labels are calling, you get a $5 million deal, it's crazy. Because streaming has, has saved the music business and it's leveled the platform so everybody has a shot. So as an A&R, you gotta be able to identify that, get in early, develop the artists and do what A&Rs are supposed to do, like really sign real talent. One of the things that y'all said that really sticks out to me is uh, everybody said something about ownership, right? So, okay, raise your hand if you, if you want to own your own business or if you own a brand in here. Yeah, all of y'all, I thought so. That's what's up. So I think 
when you take the word ownership, you got to break that down, right? There's, it doesn't just, it, I think people, what, what we're really looking for is ownership of, of our creative assets and ownership of our time, right? Everybody wants to be able to dictate how they move and what they put out and, and how they make money, right? So what I want to talk to you guys about is when we talk about ownership, how is that shifting uh, your respective industries? I think every... I think everybody is introducing a concept that they want to have stake in. So how do you guys um, use that within your own functions and business? Anybody can go, it's all good. Well, I know for me, for music it's changed because you know, there are different type of deals you do. You do a direct artist deal where you give up some of your rights or you do partnerships. I feel like, I know me personally, my approach is more so with artists as partnerships. Because at the end of the day, this is where we're at. I'd rather have us feel like we're doing this together than feel like it's just me pushing something on you. So that's how, for me, that's how it's kind of changed. As far as going back to your question about ownership, because the thing about it, record label, whether it's a record label, whether it's a management company, labels are VCs. So it's like, if we're going to invest money, we have to see your return. So it's about figuring out how you're going to do the partnership. So... With United Masters, um, the overall goal is to empower independent artists with all of the tools that a traditional record label would give you and give you the opportunity to maintain your independence while having all of the tools that an artist on a record label would have. So ownership for us is moving on to actually, instead of us saying, you know, we're gonna do this together and give you your ownership, it's more of like, no, I'm gonna actually give you the tools that you need, like, where is your biggest fan? What does he look like? What does he like? And how can you actually use your own resources without having to borrow money from somebody else, which could be a 360 deals or new deals? Um, and what the overall goal is, kind of, is to inspire that across the industry. So we want artists, in this case, um, to look at themselves as people that can actually get themselves to a place like Chance the Rapper. I use, I use Chance the Rapper as the biggest example of somebody that actually got all the way there while owning all of his stuff. Um, not having a Lil Wayne and Birdman situation. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's for, for us right now in the music sector, that's what we're moving towards in, in my company. Um, and I'm super excited about it because I'd love to live in a world where an artist can start out and 10 years from now, they won't be looking at themselves like, oh shit, I owe $3 million um, because I had to sign a 10 record label deal. Um, you know. I want to put it out there though. Everything you're saying is correct, but those no one's doing those deals no, no more. No, but it's possible. 360 uh, deals are gone. I mean, but you know, like I tell ours, look, it's all about your lawyer and it's all about your management. You know what I'm saying? Like, they got to be on point. Then you could get whatever type of deal you want. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's like you still, you could, because there's still deals where artists have ownership through a major label. That's what I'm saying. There's so many deals you could do. It's all about how smart you are as a manager, how smart you are as an artist, how smart you, how smart your team is. No, 100%. Like, and the thing that like I want to like emphasize is that we're all about record labels because we're also an ad agency. So we hire Chris Brown to be in our commercials. So like record labels are our friends, and some of our artists that we work with are signed. So like you just said. 
there's new ways to collaborate with these alternative ways. Like, you know, you can upload your track to Audio Mac and you could go to TuneCore, but you can also have a, l a lot of other ways of collaborating and maintaining your ownership in so many different ways and getting all these resources from places like WeWork or whatever. Any place where you can like creatively develop any concept that you have. Um, so I think it's actually an amazing time that we're in right now um, as far as individuals to own our own stuff and actually amplify it in whatever way you want. If you want to make a billboard, you are more than likely right now to be able to actually accomplish that more than ever before. Um, we're in a di the digital era, so. Yeah, that I agree. So, so I think about ownership in two, two ways, at least for the people in this room. Um, one which is, and you kind of mentioned it, which is ownership of creativity concept. Um, I think we specifically are positioning ourselves anti-traditional mainstream, so I'll use an example. Um, working on developing a show right now with four black men who are super dope out in LA. They've got offers from everybody you can imagine. Bravo, WeTV, I think Vice is putting in an offer, a bunch of people. The advantage that we give them is that we're not gonna try to break your thing. We're the place where you get to be unapologetically you. So when you sign that deal with Bravo and week three they're telling you that y'all need to start fighting so they can get the ratings, like that's never going to happen here. As people who feel like it is our job to be authentic to the culture and protect the culture, we think that there's a huge opportunity for us to just allow the culture creators to do their thing. Um, so ownership in terms of creativity and ideas and concept is one. Um, two, ownership in terms of equity. And when I think about it, I don't think about equity equity in one thing, I think that for us it's important to have equity in lots of different things. Um, one, because you just diversify your risk. Um, two, because again, we have a great platform to try to put a bunch of people on, and so we should be doing that. Um, and then from the culture creator's perspective, I would encourage them to do the same thing. Like, it's great to have a company, but it's also great to have equity in five companies, right, where you have five shots and, and, um, and the potential to see what all of that can do. So anyways, we look at it in terms of ownership, in terms of creativity, and in terms of equity and, 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 and commerce. I think a I think a third thing, right? Because I agree with the first two, is leverage, right? So, we I was talking to an artist today, and he's dropping a tape, and he's and he's buzzing a lot. I can't say his name because I'm going to tell you the situation that happened. Um, but he goes, he we email him. Two of my people who weren't even working together email him and say we got to get you on Audimac, and we end up having a call with him, and he goes, all right, how much are you going to pay for the mixtape? I go, we don't we don't pay for mixtapes. We could give you, you know, you could monetize your music on, on, on Audio Mac, uh, and you could make potentially more than someone who would pay you just for that exclusive. Plus, I don't want you to go exclusive. I want you to put it everywhere, get as many plays as possible, because if you put it on one site or app, you get a million plays, and you get five grand or whatever, 10 You're grand, not Beyonce. whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... You'll, so yeah, but then your next project or the next distributor you talk to or the next label that you may talk to, you say, they're gonna go, how many plays you get? I got a million plays. Well, you just hurt yourself because you, you gave up your leverage too early. Instead, diversify, which is another thing you just mentioned, put it in as many places as possible, get as big as possible, get your reach as big as possible, get as many followers as possible. Now you have ownership of your situation, you have leverage because you made the right decision and you didn't like sell out too early. Not that sell out is necessarily what it is, but you know, you wanna just you don't wanna like give it up too early. You wanna make sure you get as big as possible, then you have the leverage, then you cash in. 
Um, I think that um, ownership when it comes to Afropunk is multifaceted. So we're a media company, but we're also a festival. So we look for small talent and, and really nurturing them so that they can take a big stage and reach a platform that maybe they couldn't do previously. Um, the person that, the owner of Afropunk, Matthew Morgan, he specifically curates every lineup like to the T and he's not looking for the most popular. Um, of course, we do have headliners, but a lot of the people that are here at stage are not necessarily popular and numbers-based. Um, so that's one way that they can own their space, but then also we take them globally as well. So Afropunk is ran in Paris, London, Joburg, Atlanta, and New York. So not only is your platform just New York City, but it can go and span across the, the world. Um, and you really get to, to um, really own your story across a global landscape. So for example, we did, Joe Berg was our inaugural festival um, in December, and there's an artist named Show Majosi that's from Joe Berg, and she's now able to come to New York to perform uh, in front of a bigger audience. So ownership is something that's super important for us. It's important for our brand. Um, we also give ownership to the people that come to our festivals. As much as I might define what Afropunk means to me, you might define it differently. So our spaces aren't necessarily for, we create a space, but we, we give our audience the ability to really um, put words and describe what that is. Because if you go to Afropunk, it's completely different depending on who you are and what you're looking to get from it. Right. I think um, a lot of, you guys are saying things like influence and leverage um, platforms. I think the word that marries all of this together when we talk about ownership is, is technology, right? That has literally crafted a whole new lane of like entrepreneurship and um, just access to putting yourself on, right? So um, I'll use myself for an example. I got on at Revolt because I was running my own magazine online and I interviewed the person who ended up being my boss. And after the interview, I was like, yeah, I got a resume, homie, you know what I'm saying? Just <laughs> You feel me? If y'all need any help on the weekends or something, like, you know what I'm saying, I get y'all right. And I ended up coming to New York, boom, boom. I've been here for like two years now. So um, I want to ask y'all, how has technology allowed y'all to craft the professional lives you want? Because I think we're in a time right now where, like, we're dealing with a hell of a lot of work-life balance, right? We don't go nowhere without being connected. So how have you guys used this time and these tools to put yourself in the positions you are in now. And I'm asking that question because I want you guys to provide uh, steps or uh, advice to the people in the room that might want to use your tactics. I was just saying this to someone. Um, there is no clear path, right? Like this all, uh, this woman said it best. It's, we're all kind of making it up <laughs> um, based on educated decisions. There is no right way to do it. I worked at a pharmaceutical company, and I worked at a diamond distribution company, and then somehow I landed at Def Jam, and then somehow I landed at Afropunk. There is no way that there is like a, a path. However, how technology has helped me is, is that I've been able to tap into communities that I might not have been able to prior. So I've been able to have a bird's eye view into communities that are not like my own or what I have um, was raised around. I'm a suburban girl from Jersey. <laughs> so having an understanding of punk music and a black lens is completely new to me. And I think that 
I've always wanted to be around creatives. I'm not one that has like the skill of painting or the skill of dropping the bars, but like I still um, have been able to really uh, connect with people that are and being able to um, create their stories or round out their stories and putting it on a platform that that in itself has been super, um, I don't even know, it's beyond words. Uh, no worries. So I have a bad memory, so I'm going to try to tell you the three I'm going to hit really quickly. Um, one is, there is no middleman. Two is, I control my own story. Three is, technology helps me curate. Um, okay. So one, uh, there is no middleman. So the whole way that I even get to Radio One is I decided in 2013 that I was going to write a book. Um, I write the book. I publish the book on my own. I'm on the speaker circuit. They call me to come in and speak to their teams. The next day, they offer me a job, right? That happens because I wrote a book, didn't have to sell it to an agent or a publisher and anybody else could produce the book myself, right? Which got me in the rooms with the people that I wanted to be in the rooms with, which is how I got here. So one, technology gets you the opportunity to do that. Um, two, I control my own story as that we all do. So everybody will talk about branding and knowing your brand purpose and all of that stuff. Um, but I think that's important. So each different platform giving you an opportunity to showcase a different side of yourself. Um, I very much agree with what you were talking about earlier. Like we talked the brands all the time. We don't believe in destinations. We believe in distribution. And so recognizing each distribution as channel is different. And I can tell my narrative in a, my own unique way in that channel is also really important. And then the last one was um, curation. So again, we're all about the culture, trying to find dope people. Um, I believe that I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I always want to be surrounded by content creators who are cooler than me, doper than me, et cetera. And technology gives me a way to identify and find those people um, in a very very easy way. I'm going to buy your book. <laughs> You're so good. Um, technology for me has actually been the most important part of my entire trajectory, if you could call it that. Um, so I actually am a college dropout. I dropped out um, second year, and it was because I couldn't afford to go to school anymore. And so I had to educate myself. And through technology, like, I kind of found out who my mentor was. She was my mentor, and I had no idea who she really was until Google was like, nah, this is who you're dealing with. And I'm like, oh, word. Um, and then from there, like, you can think about all the other different instances where technology has like, impacted my own personal life. For example, MySpace, what are those circles that you were creating from a long time ago, even Sconex, um, Twitter, all these things. Like, I just had my nine-year anniversary on Twitter. And through those, through those different mediums, you can see how you've like been impacted by these different things. For example, uh, about a year ago, somebody DM'd me and they were like, I've been trying to reach you, please answer me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I will, I will. That was on Twitter. And like, I'm mad, ah, I didn't answer, whatever, left it like that. And then I, then I went on a Twitter rant and I was like, you know what, I don't know if it was about like, women of color needing more like things to like do or like opportunities, but then Travis, like he's like, Fuck it, I'm gonna take my shot. I want you on my podcast. Um, and then here we are today. So I believe that technology is the only door that you really need right now to get your, yourself in places that you want to be. I had only done one podcast prior to being on the Driven Society podcast. Um, and after that, I did that one. It like my whole agency blasted it. Um, and then now we're here today with you guys. Uh, so technology is the main driver behind what we're all looking for. You can teach yourself. When I first got hired, I had no idea what a real like guerrilla marketing plan looked like. I had to look that up. Wikipedia is actually your friend. 
the internet is the most magical place that a person can find. It is also dangerous. Um, but we have to find the positives in everything, and I believe that technology is the main driver be behind everything. Just like if you want to be successful as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as in anything, technology is what's going to take you there. Because soon enough, we're not even going to need cell phones because technology is going to be within us, even though it's going to be scary. But that's it's really the weird. only way. That's too much. <laughs> it's the it's the <laughs> accepting it into your world is the only way that you can actually succeed as a producer. Um, I run all of my projects through the Google Suite. That means that simultaneously, I'll be working on a slide and my boss will be looking at it. Um, I'll be working on a budget, it can be reviewed within seconds. The client can look at my deck as soon as it's done because it's on the suite. The drive is shared with between us. Everything is there and it's free and it's available. Um, and of course, the invasion of privacy is real. Shout out to Cardi B. Um, <laughs> You know? <laughs> that, was, that was real well played. But, um, real well played. It, it's real, but you need to know that for all of these free services, there is a cost, just like there is to everything. You're going to be served an ad, but yeah, technology is a shit. I think that uh, something that you guys are saying, like, there's this, there's this feeling of, like, just constant connectivity and just availability that is really, really dope, but really, you said, you said dangerous. Yeah. That shit is dangerous, right? So... All right, be, keep it real. When y'all first wake up in the morning, what do y'all do? I wanna take this moment to let y'all know how extremely fucked up that is, right? Because we're in an age right now where we're constantly consuming, right? So we're taking in everybody else's ideologies, everybody else's ideas, everybody else's opinion. And at the same token, we have the power to put our own out, right? But we're in a space now where with technology and with content, it's, it's, it's almost overkill to the point where you gotta know how to disconnect so you can create content that connects. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I drop bars every now and then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, so what I want to what I want to ask y'all is number one, what are the pros and cons of this of the, the space we're in right now, and how do we maintain that balance? And what new content experiences do you guys think are on the horizon that are gonna that people need to be embracing and and, and getting a hold of to reach that next level? Because the competition is crazy right now, so anybody can go, or I'm gonna pick somebody. Don't make me be that guy. Can you repeat the question? Okay. <laughs> All right. It was a little loaded. Yeah. So, so what, basically, the, the, the major point I want to address is we're very, very overly connected right now. So how do you guys recommend maintaining that balance so that you can stay original? And also, what new content experiences are coming that maybe you guys are looking to embrace uh, to stay competitive? So, okay, so I'll attack the first one, which is, um, I'm just going to go down this path. I think that there are managers and, and then there are makers. Um, in this conversation, I'll switch it to say that there are consumers and there are makers. And I think that making takes time, right? So it's super easy to consume. You can consume, boom, 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 boom. It's very easy to get lost in that rabbit hole. Making takes time. Like, you can't even pretend to make unless you've, you're 30 minutes into something. And so for me, it's just about carving out that time. So it's my morning. So my teams will tell you, like, I don't sleep that well. And so between, like, 3 and 7, I get to make a bunch of stuff. It's quiet. Nobody's bothering 
bother me. I don't check Instagram, right? Like my time to consume is during the day. And then I pull all that into my mind. And in the morning, there's like four hours where I get to make. So the only point I want to make here is just making sure that you're carving out time to consume and to make. Uh, but making can't be done in 15-minute spurts, 20-minute spurts, 30-minute spurts. They're like two-hour bursts, four-hour bursts. So just making sure that you're um, doing that. Your morning is at 3 a.m.? Yeah, all the time. Unfortunately, I don't want that to be tight, my truth. Tight, it's just tight, my truth. Tight, I tight. just wake up, and then I go back to sleep at 7. My kind of person. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to kind of build on what you, what you just said. Um, I think that right now, like, it, whatever your product is, you can't do, you can't move it without content, right? So how do you guys look, from your perspective, how do you guys look at creating content around your product in a way that's like, that's authentic, but disruptive enough to stand out. So content is like, as we know, the main conversation in every single boardroom. It's always that. I work at an ad agency, so you can imagine what we make. Content for all kinds of mediums. And over time, it evolves. Ooh. 10 years ago, however long ago, there was no social media departments. So you didn't need somebody to make Instagram posts. You didn't need somebody to write copy for Twitter. You didn't need somebody to write copy for Instagram, whatever. So as everything evolves, ways of make, making content is always evolving. I can think of the first big instance where a consumer accessible device to create content was like worldwide, might have been the GoPro. And then right. following that, it would have been the drone. Um, the next thing, it might be this device that, that's in beta right now that I saw that they're giving it out to influencers. It's like a chain and it has a camera on it. And it's basically designed so that when you go to music festivals and you're performing or you're talking and you're having interactions, you're filming all of that. Um, but content is so many different things. It may be so that within the next two years, you hop on the train and the ad that you're looking at actually says, hey, Vanessa, how's about you try this matcha latte? And the reason that it knows that it's Vanessa, it's because your phone is feeding that data into it because it registers that. Um, or it shit. may be, well, it, like, you know, I'm not a big, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of, um, I'm not a big fan of VR just because the ROI on it is very low. It's like 30% per event. That means that if you have 100 people attending your event, maybe 30 to 40 people may be able to experience it. But the tech community seems to be very adamant that VR is it. And since consumers are, you know, able to get their hands on it so easily because you can, you know, pop your iPhone, you can pop your Samsung into the paper box and you can get this 3D experience or you can get the really high-tech one or whatever. Um, but I believe that the way that we consume content is gonna change and what content is, is gonna be forever evolving. Right now, the latest trend in content that I can see is all consumer generated. So it's kids playing with fidget spinners and it going viral. It's kids playing with slime and going viral. Um, it's Matt XOX, whatever his name. That's not awkward, right? Yes. <laughs> you see, you see, <laughs> but it can be consumer generated um, content that really takes us to the next level. For all that we know, you know, Vine might have been the, the catalyst to where we are heading towards now. And it may no longer be us as an agency or us as, as content creators, as professional people. Um, making the content, being the driving force behind the whole thing, it may just be buying what the kids are making. So, you know, 
you just never know. So content is our product. We have, I always have two rules. So one is social by design, two is discoverable by design. In the middle of a content explosion where UGC is everywhere and they're literally like billions of pieces of content being, dis being created every day, your two jobs is to figure out how to get your content discovered and how your, get your content shared. And I just believe all of that stuff has to be baked into the content. You can't bet on the marketing plan. You can't bet on a bunch of paid media. That's why you see people betting on talent who has existing following. That's why you see people betting on these lean-in moments that are going to get people to share it. So content is our product. Those are my two big things. How do you bake in the fact that it's going to be social, and how do you bake in the fact that it's going to be discovered? Anybody else want a piece? Um, I just want to add one little thing. As far as for, for artists, I mean, my advice, because artists always ask me, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? Just keep putting out content. Everything's content, music, artwork. Everything, you gotta stay consistent on social media, sharing, it's like, never stop putting out music, never stop putting out content. Cause this is the world we're in now. People are constantly sharing, constantly, constantly. So Do just keep that in mind. there's a danger to oversaturate though? The only danger is when you're oversaturating with meteorocity, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to have quality. You know, you have to, you have to curate it. Curation is key. Um, I feel like just to piggyback off of that, um, oversaturation is happening. We are con we are um, consuming um, content at the like by the boatloads, and I think that what separates some from others is that it's it's really um, close to who they are. Um, sometimes we try to follow what other people are doing, and I think that's why it's so important to disconnect sometimes, so that you can really um, hone into what is real for you. Um, as since it is a digital experience that lives outside of yourself, but is super personal, um, I say like hone it, hone in on who you are and, and figuring out what your skills are and creating content from that space rather than kind of looking at what's going viral or what's going, what's hitting the numbers and things of that nature. I think, um, and this is kind of leading into the last point that I wanted to wrap up with, where we have this word oversaturation, right? And I kind of want to tackle this concept that I think plagues everybody a little bit. And I just really want to talk about this word influencer, right? Oh. 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 <laughs> Look, uh, I'm not to cut you off, because I hate that word. I know. Me too. Oh, no. We everyone, like everyone is a brand. Everyone's on brand. Right. Everyone's an influencer. Exactly. It's just whack. And I think that. I think that the problem with the word influencer is like we let a lot of like brands and like um, marketing agencies kind of like get in and make people feel like an influencer is like a special group of like internet cool kids or some shit that like make the rules or whatever, right? Um, and I think that's kind of something that's begin we're seeing the beginning steps of that kind of being broken down. So there's a difference, right, between somebody with a big ass audience and somebody with an influence. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So there are people out here with, I don't know, 40,000, 50,000 followers, and they got like, I don't know, 10 likes, half a comment. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, the, but the point I'm making is that influence and audience isn't the same thing. So what I want to take this, I, I want to round this out by asking you guys, um, what type of transition do you guys think that we're, we're, we're seeing now where that the value might start getting placed on the people who are actually introducing thought processes and products and ideas and conversation that's actually shifting their industries. And like, how do you guys see that rippling through what, what it is that you do? So Daria and I actually work together, 
for a brand. I'm not going to say the name because nothing's for free in life. Um, <laughs> and um, they hired me. I'm, I only have 5,600 followers, whatever. At the time, I might have had like 4,000 followers. Um, and then another person, uh, Wayno, who's amazing, he's from Harlem. He has way more followers than me. He has like 40,000 followers. He used to be Davies' manager, whatever. Wayno's amazing. Um, and the ultimate goal was so that he and I could take on New York and seed this project, product and promote it so that, you know, it could be the greatest thing ever. Um, in the course of a year, we had different activations, different strategies were applied, we had weekly meetings, blah, blah, blah. At the end of that year, through my own sources, I don't know if you know this, but that shoe that we were selling was the number one sold shoe in all of Urban Outfitters Northeast. So, that's just an example of me only having 4,000 followers and through different methods, being able to do that and with Wayno as well because they could have easily went with somebody that had a quarter million followers because there's a, there's a lot of people that do have that in New York City, in New, in New York City especially up here in the Northeast. Um, but that just goes to show, well, to save, to save time, you can walk into a room and have 500 followers and that whole room will know you, understand you, know what you're about, trust you. And if you tell them, yo, go to Ricky's party, it's gonna be popping, all 500 of them are gonna show up. But if this rando that moved down here from Connecticut about a year ago has 10,000 followers because she decided to post every single day, use every single hashtag, and you know, not even buy them, you know, do it organically, but where are her followers? They're probably in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Florida, wherever else. They're not here. And when she walks into that room, no one will know her. So I always try and tell clients that. But I just can't wait for the moment that clients start noticing that it's actually the people that are in the circles, that are a part of, that are, that are a part of the community, that actually matter, that we should be paying attention to. That follower counts aren't a real thing. That what really matters is their impact in their actual community. Yeah, I think just to piggyback off of that, too, um, sorry. <laughs> um, it's so important as, as we get into these digital realms, sometimes we, we lose, um, we, lo we, we find less importance in what's physical. And I think that sometimes you have to, it's so important for you to be in front of people's faces and getting to know people and, and spreading yourself even in the physical spaces because you are connecting. So when I did work with Yaya, that was one thing that did work really well in New York and in some other markets is because these people were not just talking the talk. They were actually in those spaces and they were, they were impacting people and people were listening. They were thought leaders and not just influencers. So numbers, my, this numbers game, I feel like it's almost, it's, we're almost at the end of it. <laughs> um, and I think that what's really important is, is that you find those people and those communities that are really having the conversations, not just online, but are also having the conversations physically and, and are, are really curating their space, their physical space and their digital spaces. Yeah, I agree with that, and, and Yaya said it perfectly. You know, you could have 50,000 followers and then barely any engagement, or you could have 1,000 and have much more engagement and have much more of an impact. 
you know, and, and AudioMac, it's a, it's a certain situation. I could talk about, you know, the platform because I know it intimately, but, you know, we have a top songs chart and it's based on how many plays you get, how many people favorite it and share it. I'm not going to give you the whole secret sauce, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a, basically a popularity contest. And there was a lot of dope artists who, you know, don't have huge audiences yet that are making potentially better music than what's on the charts. Um, but they're not getting as, as, as seen as much because, you know, they only have maybe 10,000 plays. So we're actually creating a new algorithm or another algorithm. We're not going to replace the, the top songs one, but the new algorithm is going to be, it's, it's, uh, it's, what the working title is called the score. And essentially what that is, it's going to take how many plays you get and then how much engagement it gets. So you could potentially be a brand new artist, get 10,000 plays, but your favorites playlist and your other engagement metrics are way above average or way above the benchmark. And then you'll be at the top of that chart. So it's gonna be another tool or another way to discover or have those you know, very talented up and coming artists be discovered and have their content and music be surfaced yeah. up more. So that should be coming out soon. Uh, and that hopefully would address some of the problem that we see with influencers. So we think about influence in two ways. Um, the way that we're talking about it that everybody is frustrated is lazy math. So for us, it's the double click behind that math. So one is engagement, right? So of your 10,000 followers, how many people are engaged, which is what we're talking about. The other one is how many people of real influence are following you. So I also like to bet on the influencers of the influencers. So I don't need LeBron or Beyonce or Solange, even though I love them all. If my question is who are they following, who's checking for them to find who the new trends and they're equally as valuable for me, no matter how many followers they have. I think that, um a great way to kind of bring this to the conclusion is a lot of, uh, I think it was Yaya who said, um, essentially, like, you don't, I mean, you don't need to have tens of thousands of followers to make an imprint, right? I can use my own example. I think I just cracked 2,000 followers, right. maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm popping, I'm popping. Give it up, give it up. I'm popping. You know what I'm saying? Just a little sauce, just a little bit. Nah, but um, I created a, I created a, um, a concept called New Black Renaissance, right, for Black History Month. So it was about how, how black culture is moving into a new space in terms of health, in terms of wealth, in terms of um, understanding our influence, our economic imprint on billion-dollar industries that either we, we're the catalyst for or we amplify, right? And me at, like, I don't know, 1,800 followers? I don't know. Um, but that still ended up in Forbes. It still ended up on Sirius XM. It still ended up, we went viral. We ended up on, ended up on Global Grind. I think... Was it the shade room? Who was, who, 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 I didn't know you made it. Who was it, Kim? It was, the it was like the shade room or something. Something that got nothing to do with, never mind, I ain't going to do that. I'm going to chill. <laughs> um, but I, I, I provide that, that story to, to, to give you background on the fact that, you know, if you have an idea and you have um, a concept you believe in and you put it out the right way and you curate it the right way, the people will amplify your message. So the final question that I have is, you know, uh, what can we do as a culture to make sure that we're putting the power of influence in the hands of, of, of actual talent? Because there's a lot of pump fakers out here right now. So what can we do as a culture to put the power in the hands of the people who actually are, are shifting the way that we think and the way that we live? Support it. Like, support yeah. it. Go to shows, go buy black or buy whatever you decide that you want to buy. <laughs> at least from my lens, buy black <laughs> businesses, you, we have so much buying power and there's so much even wealth even in this room. 
and you just have to support artists that you believe in and, and really support them, not just stream or, I mean, yes, stream, of course stream, but do it in more different ways. Go to shows, um, I don't, buy merch, merch, exactly. You really just have to support it. If we all supported artists that were really um, talented, then it would, it, it would um, bring this new wave of, um, we would control the, the, the conversation that's going around about artistry. So I think supporting it is like the major first thing to do. Yep, and then piggybacking on that, I would just say, put yourself in a position of power and then help the culture. It's like when you're on a plane and they say whatever, it's like, put your mask on first and then help the person next to you, right? Um, we need people to put themselves in positions of power and then lift back up. And so whether that means you're going to urban companies, whether that means you're going to some of these traditional mainstream companies, we need people like the people in this room who are gonna fight for the culture in an authentic and a very real way. Um, so get to a position of power so that you can help a bunch of people below you. Um, I'm gonna piggyback off of what you just said and kind of like quote my boss, the great Chaucer Barnes. Um, he's an avid believer in casting. And casting is something that we use all across uh, everything that we do. So casting goes as far as how we hire. So I believe that in order for us to succeed and move forward in the right direction, we should no longer be adding master's degree uh, a must, bachelor's, I think that that's ridiculous. I think that all of that is unnecessary because I can probably find a designer that can do amazing 3D things and the guy that, you know, the traditional ad agency is paying a quarter million dollars who can't do. Um, so I think that the casting that we have to be doing when we're hiring has to be based more off of talent and skill set and it has to be tested as opposed to, here's a diploma that I, that, you know, I got because my parents paid it for it and I, I'm only doing this because I think it's cute. Mm -hmm. um, and then casting also goes across who we work with and... <laughs> Casting, casting also trickles down to who we work with and what they look like, where they're from. Like, if you're gonna be doing a sketch and it's based out of the Bronx, we're gonna do it in the Bronx. The guy that we're working with is gonna be from the Bronx. The director should be from the Bronx. And everybody that benefits from this whole thing should be from that place or at least the state. And they should be brown or black or whatever color you want. But we need to put a really big emphasis in supporting our own people and casting across all kinds of ways that you can imagine is the only way that we're gonna be able to, you know, shift the, the situation into the right direction. Well, I'm a piggyback, piggyback, piggyback <laughs> off what everybody just said. At the end of the day, it just boils down to support. We gotta support each other, that's what it boils down to. You know, like with me personally, like, I don't, cause one, the, the, the one, the messed up thing about the, the music industry for years, even it's like, it's been a political game. It's always been about who you know. Like, look, I came up here to New York with no connections from Baltimore, I ain't know nobody. You know what I'm saying? And I had to finesse and figure it out. I didn't have plugs, I didn't grow up with nobody in Brooklyn or the Bronx, I didn't have nothing. You know what I mean? But the way I look at it, though, I always want to bring people up. If I see someone that's talented, if they're good at what they do, I'm going to put them on. It's that simple. I mean, that's, that's my answer to the question. Okay, well, um, I think we're going to open the floor for some Q&A. First of all, give yourselves a round of applause. How you want to run it? Cool. You run it. 
Okay. Dope. All right. Can we give uh, the panel a round of applause one more time? Yeah, you guys are dope. Yeah. All righty. Um, really quick, uh, my name is Distinguished. Uh, I'm a, a co-host on a podcast called Dads and Bowties. I have a question for David. So uh, going all the way back to the very beginning of what you were talking about, you were talking about audio, Mac. you were talking about the studio situation with artists. Um, how important is the showcase world to the artists before and after they go into the studio and lay down their tracks? How important is that? Because we see how that's also changing too. There's a lot of people who have an issue with the promoters. You know, they call the promoters janky. Um, you know, like, we know what it is. Like, let's, let's keep it a thousand. Let's keep it a stack. So how important is that when the artist is actually going into the studio and they're recording, like, is there some type of coaching that you tell them for the showcase world? Or you just like, you know, we just want you on our platform and we're gonna put you in our studio, but we're not really concerned about the other part. No, I mean, we have, we have a whole, there's all types of booking agents uh, that we refer people to, and um, you know, I, I, I will never tell an artist, you know, unless they, they ask me for my feedback, you should, you know, it should, you know the 808 should sound like that, or the hi-hat should sound like this, or you should inflect your voice here, or whatever. You know, unless they really want feedback, then you know, I'm happy to give my opinion, although it could be, stupid and wrong um, but um, I, I would never you know a lot of artists like they, they'll buy they'll buy their opportunity to go on stage now don't ever do that that's a waste of money um, you know always value yourself if you go on there you know maybe perform for free if you if it's worth it for you to get you know refine your, your skills and be in front of an audience and get good at that uh, but for the most part never be never buy yourself on a stage or anything like that is not going to be worth it and I don't you know a lot of different companies come to us and try and get us to like sponsor and they say hey you, the artist will pay and you'll get money back no nope, never going to do that um, so I don't, hopefully that answered the question okay got any more questions Hey, um, my name is Kendra Monet. You actually gave me the ticket from Instagram. Thank you. Hey, girl. So you guys answered a lot of questions for you know the artist um, point of point of view. But what advice do you guys have for the professionals who are looking more to um, match their day job with their dreams? Um, you mentioned a mentor, and you mentioned you know you wrote a book that got you in the door. But for the rest of you guys, what do you think was the catalyst that allowed you to take a professional route that you're passionate about? Um, I can answer first. Um, for me, it was a mentor. Um, her name was Isis, <laughs> and she really put me, hey. Um, she put me in a lot of different situations than I would have absolutely put myself in, and I really am a uh, huge supporter of, of getting a mentor and finding someone that not only um, can show you the way, but invest in you. Um, sometimes we think that just looking up to someone is enough, but someone that's willing to be able to get in the the in 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 it with you and and really invest in in your skills and put you in places that you need to be. Also, hustling like you have to be open to anything, and sometimes you have to take a leap when it's scary. You have to face some fears. You have to um, really put yourself out there and um, just connect connecting with good people. 
I actually want to piggyback off that. Uh, for, for me, like, I, I believe, I really believe, like, in, in intent and, and, and being bold, right? So be clear about what it is that you're, that, you're, that you're trying to accomplish, right, with whatever platform, whatever project you're working on. Like, what world are you trying to tap and, and, and what are you trying to do there? You should know that before you even get a chance. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times people get a chance and they fumble it because they don't even know what it is that they're trying to do with the chance. They just know they wanted the chance. You can't do that. If you get the rock and you got a wide open shot and you're like, damn, do I want to drive or I want to shoot? You better, <laughs> you know, you got to figure that out beforehand, right? You got to know, you have that mentality. And I think bravery, like, and boldness, we're in a situation, all of us are, there are no rules. Every industry that you can think of, there, the, the, it's being rewritten as far as like what the new normal is. So you just have to like be bold, whether it's taking a leap of faith, whether it's introducing an idea that makes absolutely no sense, it's not even real yet, but you can see its, its plausibility later on down the road. You have to be bold in that because there's a million people, literally millions of people who are gonna be like, nah, that don't make no sense. Nah, that's not realistic. But what's realistic? You know, like we all came in here because off of an app that we all was like, yeah, we got a panel coming up. Y'all should come through. Literally like six years ago, people were probably like, uh, that doesn't seem, we're going to do like a mailing list. You know what I'm saying? Like it's completely different. So you have to be bold and like own whatever it is that, you, that, that you're trying to contribute to your industry. Yeah, my quick things are going to be, um, I love boldness, so um, that's one which is just believe. So believe that it is possible to put your passions to work and get paid for it, and then go on the faith walk to make it happen, right? The universe, God conspires to bring things to happen when you go on that faith walk. So that's the first one. Um, uh, two, I was just going to talk about the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. So I think you need yeah. both, right? So <laughs> mentors are the people who are going to sit down with you and help you plot out and figure out the roadmap about how do you take your passions and combine them and get to a place where you can work at them. They're going to tell you the places that you should look at and work through all that stuff with you. Sponsors are the people who are highly networked, highly connected, and can just open those doors. Don't just have mentors. Have mentors and have sponsors. And be ready to compete with your mentors, oh, too. Yeah. Well, and then on the competition one, For real. so I'm going to use an example uh, because I want to just make sure that we are recognizing that uh, our perspective realizes who our real competition is. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I think we think we're in competition with just ourselves. So I'll give an example. I went to um, business school at Stanford, right? So you have to apply to business school. Uh, applying to business school, you're just looking at what have you done and what are your accomplishments. Then I got to school and it was like, yo, that person started a million dollar company, that person was at war in Iraq, that person, once you recognize the people you're actually competing against, then you know whether you've created the story that's worthwhile to compete with. So anyways, just make sure that you are looking broadly at who your competition is and then make sure that you are differentiating yourself in that space so that you stand out. It's not just you against yourself, it's you against the thousand of other people who want that seat and you need to be differentiated. Can I just, I just want to add one thing. I'm sorry. Narrative is, narrative is really important. Um, everybody is pushing something. People don't, people don't fall in love with products anymore. They fall in love with people. You have to find a way to either make them fall in love with you or, fall in, or, or personify your product to the point where they believe in it, right? So there has to be a narrative there, you know what I mean? But make it authentic. Don't, don't fake the funk. It has to be true. But you have to create a narrative. Every, that we're all here because there's some element of storytelling in what we, in what we do. Whether it's 
whether it's putting together an experience that's live and on stage, whether it's putting together content that you receive through the internet, whether it's uh, signing, an, signing an artist and developing that artist into somebody that the whole world knows. There's a narrative there that, that in order for it to work, people have to buy into, but don't fake it, like be authentic. I just wanted to add something. Yeah, competition is, is amazing, but collaborating is mm. key. Um, I am a shy girl, so <laughs> I was not one to like compete, 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 but I would love to collaborate. And it could be the people that are sitting next to you doing the same thing that you are. You never know where that person is going to, uh, going to make it to, and you never know what that connection is. So as much as it is to, to be able to look at your landscape and seeing who's playing those spaces, it's so important to, to build a team around you um, that's willing to, to also drive home your, your, your mission. Um, I think that in my main line of work, which is production, and many others, uh, people sometimes get shy to do jobs that they don't think belong to them because they're like, oh, I'm too old. Oh, I already went into debt because I have a fucking master's in advertising. Or, oh, you know, I come from a rich family. Or whatever your, your circumstance may, may be. But if you're trying to get to that spot, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. You may have not ever built a 150-page deck on your own, but if somebody asks you that can, you know, give you these opportunities, and if that one particular instance where you do this job that you don't want to do and you do it well, that one thing could literally be the catalyst that brings you on to the next spot. So my one piece of advice is never be scared to do something that you feel is below you because nothing is below you. Word. Because the person that's competing, these competitors, are going to do it, and they are going to take your spot, because there are people that are hungry, because I, for one, am going to make that deck. I'm hungry, and everybody else should be if you really want it. I just think that nothing is too good for me. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not too good for anything, yeah. and that's the mentality. If you really want to get something, and if you really want to do it, you got to be hungry, and hunger is expressed through how you do things. Straight so up. if you want to express that you're hungry to do something, you better be willing to do the jobs that a lot of people don't want to do. Mm. You got time for one more? Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate y'all. Sure, bro. Because it's, it's dope to see the people behind, you know, things that we all partake in from United Masters to Republic, you know, Revolt. Um, my name is Kurt Collins. So the question that I had had to do with the life cycle of streaming, you know, like, um, seeing CDs last for X amount of years, let's say 20 plus, and things that were before that from vinyls from you know, the 20s to the, the death of vinyls. With streaming, it encapsulates, encapsulates all these different elements, you know, CDs, DVDs, you know, television gets streamed, it's digital now, and things of like that. So I just wanted to talk to you guys about how you guys feel. Do you guys feel like it has the opportunity to have a longer lifespan, or is it going to be a ridiculously short lifespan? Like, and do you guys, as a company, especially you two, do you guys think about what's after streaming? And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of to answer your question mainly about streaming. The beauty of streaming is everything lasts forever. It's not going to. Streaming is only going to keep going and going and going and going. Because I saw there was a prediction. They said by 2000. Uh, 40, they said, like, music consumption is going to be in the billions. Every year, it's just going up and up. And the great thing about streaming, too, catalog now is massive. 
That's why all the major labels, and not even just major labels, anyone that owns catalog is in an amazing place right now because everybody is rediscovering music from like the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, and it's just keep going and going and going. Now, what's gonna be past streaming? I don't know. It probably be a new adaptation of streaming, but streaming isn't going nowhere. It's just getting bigger, and it's just gonna keep going because China's about to open up now, which has never opened up to music, so that's gonna bring in billions of streams into the music. So. It's only gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know what's interesting too, Rook, to answer your question, what's interesting, like Japan, I don't know a lot of people know this, Japan is the second biggest market right after the United States. And it's they still do physical, it's still 90% physical in Japan. And Germany is still 80% physical, right now, 2018. So the world is a big place. So this is what I also tell the artists too, it's like, cause even with me, look, my background is from putting out independent records, grinding and all that. Every independent artist hits a wall because you can't do the whole planet by yourself. It's impossible. Like price configurate, it's just impossible. So whether you go to a label or you do it with a distributor, whatever, you have to partner with people to navigate the planet. Cause a lot of people think, oh, I can just put it, it's streaming. I'm like, yeah, but you hit a wall. Every artist that has started they hit a wall and they figure it out behind the scenes. So, but as far as streaming, nah, it's gonna keep going and going and going and going. I think streaming is gonna like, like I look forward to how streaming just reinvents itself, right? Because mm -hmm. I think that right now everything is so digital that the the the, the want for physical experience and physical interaction is that's like that's why we're here. You know what I mean? Like we could have just tuned in on like IG Live or something like that, but it's not the same, right? We, so I think that. What's going to get interesting is when streaming in all forms, whether it, whatever kind of content you have, where that meets, a, a, how that meets a physical interaction, like what that, what that math looks like, what that, what I don't, I don't know what that would be. Like I don't know, man. I might come up with something and like I don't know. It might just like pop up in a holographic situation in front of people, and they can like touch it. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I think that, but I think that streaming and physical experience that marriage is gonna be the next chapter. I'm just, I'm not sure what that looks like, but I, that's my hunch. Yeah, cause you know, the dope thing about now, to kind of go back to what you're saying, the dope thing about in music, the physical aspect is what they call D to C. It's like, basically, your vinyl, your merch, that's the fizzle experience to the streaming component. Yeah. So that's why, for me, it's beautiful. Like, I go, whether it's New York, LA, London, Paris, whatever, you walk around, you see people opening up vinyl stores that just sell nothing but vinyl. And they're flourishing, you know what I mean? So for in the music business, that's the physical component. You do, you know, then you go to the shows, you see the artists, you get the physical piece on top of the streaming. And now that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger as well. Because you have these companies called Bravado and these other, and like, in fact, Chance's manager, Pat, he has his own merch company. Like, you're starting to see all this stuff starting. Music and physical have found a beautiful unison right now, so. That's what Yeah, we at Audio Mac have not thought about uh, what's going on after streaming. We have to do streaming right first. There's still a lot of uh, improvements we can make. Um, I think one thing that has differentiated us, uh, especially internationally, is our ability uh, or the app user's ability to put music offline. So we limited that, only download songs, this and that. And then eventually we're like, well, let's just put everything offline or allow the users to put it offline. Now, you know, if you're... 
in, in Japan or you're in South Africa or you're in Puerto Rico or, or Portugal or whatever, you may not have great 3G, 3G, 4G everywhere. You may not have Wi-Fi everywhere. When you do have Wi-Fi, you go there, put your songs offline. Now you could play your music anyway. You don't need to, you know, a lot of our users are a lot younger. They're on their parents' plans. They're not going to get screamed at by their parents for going over uh, their, their data plans. And now they could take music offline. And we're still able to take that data uh, and put that and, and batch send that back to our server so that the artists know accurate play numbers and things like that when they go back online. Because that was important for us. Um, so I think Nigel is right. We've a lot of different companies that come to us and say, you know, you have streaming, you know, but what about the physical component? What artists, you know, it's that you used to be able to hold the CD, you used to be able to hold a tape, a record, and like it was some, a physical object that you held and that like meant something. It was like ownership of that. Streaming, you're just like playing songs, and now you don't have that anymore. So there is a big market, and we're seeing that with a lot of new companies coming back. How could you package merch together? Um, how could you, you know, sell LPs? How could you sell, you know, signs, anything, T-shirts, anything like that? Uh, and that's actually helped a lot of independent artists make money, where yeah. streaming, as they haven't been able to make as much, uh, because the the industry is, you know, getting better and figuring out how to do that. So make money through merch, make money through special experiences for your fans that really want that. Um, in my own personal opinion, I think that streaming is going to be here for a while, but I think that the way that we consume music and streaming itself is going to be dictated not by the music industry, but by the technology that um, is created by big companies like Samsung, like Apple. You have it. Even Nokia may come back. Um, for all that we know, within five years, your music streaming app may not be Tidal, it may not be Spotify, and it may be an allowance. Every month you may be limited to however many you paid for to listen to however many tracks per month. You never know what turn we may take. It may not, it, may, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous, but right now we have a ban on certain countries. So anything is possible. Um, and all of these companies are privately owned, therefore they have the power to dictate how we consume these things. I think that for, like I said earlier, streaming is here for, to stay and it's here for a while. And it just recently, just what, two years ago, streaming became um, RIA certified. So yeah, we got a long way to go with it and a lot of things to perfect with it. But like I just said, I think that the way that we consume music and streaming itself is gonna be definitely dictated by technology and how people use it, you know? Well, I want to add one little thing. I'm not even, I'm not even saying this just because he's sitting here. I've been saying, I say this all in my friends' group chats, something we've all been talking about in the industry. We've, I feel like Audio Mac is definitely going to knock SoundCloud out the box because SoundCloud is trash. So I just wanted to add that little. <laughs> all right, we got, we got one more. We got one more. <laughs> all right, all right, we got, we got one more. We got one more. <laughs> First of all, um, I want to say thank you because this is real information, informative. Now just be louder. Just be scream, loud. scream kind of loud quiet. as hell. All right. So my name is uh, Roland Morsey, and uh, basically I wanted to come here because I work in tech right now. I've been working there for about eight months, so I'm trying to learn more about like uh, the industry. Um, so I was wondering, as far as uh, tools that I use in my job, basically like uh, Salesforce or in for as far as like ERP systems, I'm wondering like what programs uh, are you guys using in your different positions that like when people want to say they want to do what you want to do, 
you're like, okay, that's fine, but what skills do you have outside of just some type of Microsoft suite? Because that's somebody like me, if I'm ever gonna use these tech skills I have now to translate into like form my own business or, you know, I guess become uh, some of the job titles you guys have, those skills would, would help for me. So I was just wondering what kind of programs y'all are using. I think, um, I think a lot of people in the room probably use this, but Slack is, you know, the most, one of the most important tools, right? Especially because we're all over the globe. We have people in the UK, Colorado, uh, Atlanta, New York. So Slack is, is free, you know, unless you want to use all the features, but free for the most part. And I know for the development side, which is certainly not my main expertise, but uh, GitHub is an extremely important tool uh, that our developers use. Um, and um, Trello is another very good tool, uh, collaborative tool that helps sort of bridge the gap between uh, the people on the marketing side and, and the people on uh, the development side and, and our designers as well. So uh, those are all different tools that a lot of different companies use uh, that certainly, and they're, they're relatively easy. It's not like you need to go to school for them or anything, but uh, knowledge of those, uh, uh, those particular um, programs are, are very important. Um, in marketing, it's a lot of emails. <laughs> a lot of emails and a lot of decks. Um, I mainly spend most of my day on the G Suite. It's almost the exact same as the Microsoft Suite. Uh, it's very much easy to get to. It's free, simple to access. Um, and then concur to do your expenses. <laughs> but um, yeah, and as far as like you know the algorithms they're all created by people that are way smarter than me and i have no clue they make it it works i go i log into unitedmasters.com go into the back end see some stuff and i'm sorry so we use um we used to use salesforce we're switching to quickbase um, i use evernote to capture every single thing that i find so that is my capture and curation tool and then the big thing that i wanted to say is like just learn how to tell stories whether that's in powerpoint or uh, keynote we've sold lots of ideas for millions of dollars because of pretty decks so make sure that you know how to tell very pretty stories gino g g um the g suite if you don't want to buy Keynote, has the exact replica of Keynote within the G Suite. It's amazing. I love it. I would say for anybody who's like um, making original content, for me, like I don't really stray too far from really just digging into the, the, the onboard analytical tools on all of the social platforms that we use. I don't gauge success by, for, through like link clicks and stuff like that, because you might click the link and read the first sentence and be done or you might watch the first 30 seconds and not watch no more, so I didn't really win. Um, but engagement and conversation, you can't pay for that. You can't, like, it, it's either happening or it's not. You know what I mean? You can play, pay to amplify something, but you can't pay to make people talk about it, for, for the most part, you know? But, um, so I dig into those. I'm like a real stickler for numbers, but I don't let numbers dictate what I'm doing. I just let them guide what to do next, if that makes any sense. I think he was the last one right here. The, uh, yeah, we got the last question. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, one, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate all the value you guys are throwing at us tonight. Um, so my name is William Toms. Um, I run a company out of Philadelphia called Rec Philly. And uh, oh shit, Philly in here, what up, what up, what up? Um, 
So at Rec.Philly, we're all about changing the way that independent creators do business, right? And Forbes called us the we work for creatives. So we're all about like the entrepreneurial aspect of what we're doing. So I'm really like really hip to watching some of the entrepreneurial artists that, that I love, people like Nipsey Hussle, people like Ryan Leslie, and what they've been able to do with direct-to-consumer. So I just wanted to know, um, you know, with you guys and the knowledge that you have, who are the people that you're watching to see like how the future of creative entrepreneurship is going to look, and, and what should we be learning as a, as a room? What should we be learning from those folks? Julian Mitchell. Uh, I love Julian. That's who I watch. He's got the keys. He's yeah, Julian's dope. Chance the Rapper. Chance is way ahead of his time. He's trying to create coding programs for underprivileged children through his own methods. Um, we were actually a part of brokering the deal between him and Google to fund the programs in Chicago. Um, and I just think that what he's trying to do is actually change the way that a whole community actually sees their future. And then Homie is basically a millionaire off of his own strength independent to this day. So I, I Chance the Rapper is like something, somebody that I'm always looking out for. I'm trying to think, I'm having a brain freeze right now. There's no, honestly, there's not one particular person. There's a multitude of people. Um, she, hold on, let me get back to it. Let me let some other people go through, because I'm literally having a brain freeze right now. I'll say for me that I really, I, I said his name already, but I really study what Julian Mitchell is doing. If you guys have not gotten hip to who he is, you guys should definitely hit Forbes and check out the Get Paid to Be Yourself column. Um, he just provides a lot of context over how to apply the resources and access that we have now to literally craft the world that we want to live in for ourselves professionally and personally. I think it's really important because um, any, any, any job, any organization is, is, uh, is in their best interest to look at their employees as individual entities and figure out how to foster uh, that spirit and make it make sense as a unit. So everybody feels like they're being satisfied, but their satisfaction creates a win for everybody. So that, that's the only person I see like speaking that language. And um, I love what Nipsey's doing, man. I've been following Nipsey since probably like four or five years ago. Like he's been talking about equity and ownership. And it's not something necessarily that new that we've seen, but I feel like, you know, we've heard we've heard and seen the legends of Puffy and 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 Hove and we've seen um, what uh, what Master P was able to do. Like these are all people that we grew up watching but didn't get to see it happen in real time, right? Nipsey is the first artist I believe that we're getting to watch. Literally, he don't need to rap, you know what I'm saying? He established like three arms of his business through merchandise, through marketing, and um, through, uh, what's the, it's, uh, it's like a- Music? Huh? What'd you say? It was, mar it was a marketing agency, it was the merchandise, well, it would be music, yeah. right? But he don't need the music, right? And I think that's what frees you as a creative. When you find a way to not need to be creative to eat, then you can be creative for the right reasons. That's when you start selling out and doing shit you're not, you're not really believing because you need to check, right? So those are the two people that I watch personally. Yeah, I think Julian is super dope. Um, I'm not going to give you a person. I'm a Jason Hirshhorn created a media company called Redep. And essentially what they do is just curate content. So it's a great place if you want to see someone who's trying to curate what they think is going to help you paint a picture of what the future looks like. I think it's good. So they do curation along fashion, tech, 
music and all of it has a cultural underpinning. Um, so 80% of it is probably curated, 20% of it is original. They do some really super dope original content that at least helps me paint a picture about where I think everything is headed. I have my person. Ghazi, the founder of Empire. Ghazi. Ghazi's a genius. So I don't know, are you guys familiar with Ingrooves? Ingrooves. Well, Ingrooves was like pre Empire. Ghazi pretty much built the infrastructure for Ingrooves and then he broke away and started Empire. And the reason I like Ghazi because he's a disruptor, you know? Like, he made all the major labels like kind of like he changed the whole game himself. Because he basically, he, Ghazi's type person, you could go to him like, look, I want to put out this EP. He's like, cool. Do you just want to do straight distro? If, or do you need, like, what do you want to do? You need 50 grand to get this started? You're like, yeah. But there's no commitment. It's like you still own your masters. But he changed this whole, he, made, he forced every major label to go back to artist development. Because one of the deals I did with Ghazi that, that really benefited my career was Drum. Because, so with Drum, me and my partner's LVRN, we basically found him, developed him, you know, took him to where he was at, and we partnered with Ghazi, then we looped in Atlantic, and we figured out a hybrid scenario. But the thing is, that's who I really, I watch, and I really respect, because Ghazi is very smart, and he understands where music is going. He has a great respect for culture, he has a great respect of the artist community, and that's, that's, who, I, that's who I watch. Right, My last person is a... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. My last person is a really tech person. His name is Juan Enriquez. He's a Mexican futurist, and he is one of the world leaders in AI technology. So he's actually a billionaire because he invested Juan Enriquez. Um, and so there, he has a million talks online, and he's mesmerizing because his worldview is so much larger than life and so much larger than you can ever imagine. And I could spend hours watching him speak just because he says the most ridiculous things, but they seem so real. So his, his point of view is like, contact lenses are only a form to cure something for now. He's like, but in 50 to 100 years, people that are actually born with poor sight are gonna see better than everybody else because they're gonna be the first version of like electronic vision, which will be something like being a cyborg, whatever. It sounds ridiculous, but he's a futurist and he knows about this and he works on AI technology, so he's definitely smarter than a lot of people that I know. So yeah, he's really dope to I'm look out for. I'm hyped because I'm blind as hell. I can't wait yeah, to like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> um, all right, so we got one more. You got you. We got you. He's dying. We got you. All right, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for Driven Society for having this event and you guys for sharing the time and the knowledge with us. Um, I'm sure a lot of us in here who are artists and professionals would love to further the conversation. My name is Greg G. I'm at Go Ahead Greg on Instagram and Twitter. And I would love... Get that would, shout out. Get that yeah, plug, you, baby. You, you got to do that. We got to... Y'all can follow <laughs> me. You know what I mean? I'll follow you back. And... Uh, but what I wanted to ask is, we're in a big room, it's a lot of people. Without us bombarding you guys, because we would love to further these conversations, what's the best way for us to, for us to get in contact with you? Or is bombarding you and being disruptive going to work out today? Uh, I like we all that. got an opinion on this one. Hold on. <laughs> you know what? I'm the type, because I come from that, I come from like, you know, trying to get on, like anybody that would come through Baltimore or DC that, that was in the music industry, I, we would like stalk their hotels, find out where they staying at, like. So, 
Yo, I don't mind people approaching me. People blow up my DMs all the time. I respond to certain things, some things I don't, depending on the approach. The key is the approach, you know what I mean? If someone's approach is cool, I'm with it. But when people come off like mad aggressive, I'm just like, yo, chill. Like, yeah. I don't even know you, bro. Like, <laughs> just have a conversation. Just, you know what I'm saying? But nah, but for me personally, it's through social media, through Instagram, Twitter. I'm always on it. For me, it's the same. And the, the same thing with the approach. And also because I'm a woman, sometimes, like, you want to work with me, but yet your first DM is, hey, I think you're beautiful. Besides that, I got a company. Um, don't do that. Um, and then secondly, I'm going to be very frank. If, if, if your shit is not, sorry that I curse so much. Um, if it's not where I think you should be, or if I don't like it, I'm probably not going to answer. Um, I mean, I did answer back to Travis, though. <laughs> the brand was on point. Um, but, you know, some things are just not ready to be... Maybe, 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 maybe you're not ready for my time yet. Um, but I, I, I also agree. Twitter, Instagram, DMs are always the best way. Uh, my email is... Mm, I'm always scared to give that one out because then that does get bombarded. But... It's yaya at unitedmasters.com. Yes, you can email me because there's a thousand million new opportunities we are hiring. Um, and yeah, hit me up. If, if I, I always reply back to every single email um, and I'm very honest about you know what I think. And never stop trying, but if, if you never get a reply back, think about what you're doing and how you can improve it. Um, yeah, I like, I like email. Email uh, ponte at audiomac.com, P-O-N-T-E. Anyone could email me. And I'll probably answer. Um, but I think the most important thing, because I used to be in sales and email everyone, ask, tell them, you know, I think a lot of people email and they say, what can I get from you? Really, you should be emailing, how can I offer value yeah. to, to you? Uh, how can I demonstrate value? What are the things I could bring to the table? And then at the very least, you get a response um, for the most part. Uh, a lot of people are like, hey, like, you know, I'm going to get all, put me on trending, all this stuff. And it's like, and, and they send a SoundCloud link. I'm like, no, come on, stop. Um, but yeah, just how can I demonstrate value? Uh, and I think for the most part, that's going to help, you know, get in front of people. But yeah, P-O-N-T-E at audiomac.com. And I'll answer. At Daytavio on everything social, I respond to 100% of my DMs, so just hit me there. Um, if you give me, if you give me um, quick ways that I can help you in like five minutes or less, that's the best way. Tell me what you need, tell me how I can help, and if it doesn't take 10 hours of my time, you will get the fastest responses possible. Um, if not, and you need more time, then it does come down to like, how can this be a value exchange? I'm looking for dope content creators. How can you, yo, have you ever seen this? Put me on to somebody new, do something, and then let's figure out how we go break, to break bread together later. Um, the easiest way to contact me is on Instagram. Um, so Darius, at Darius Siobhan. Um, I'm visual. I like to look at profiles and kind of scroll through. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm pretty active on social, at Dev T. Smith. Um, 
on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I will say though, like I think it's important for you to pay attention to the type of work somebody does. I think that sometimes people make the mistake of just seeing someone that appears to be in a certain space or can do something for them, and they reach out with a request or with a proposal that literally does not align with what that person is even about or the work that they're doing. Um, and I think that's where people miss opportunities. Um, so I think if you do that in combination with like trying to provide some type of like provide something, you know, in exchange, I think, you know, you'll have a higher success rate. But I mean, I try to respond to like all, all DMs. I, I probably don't get hit up as much as you guys, but you know, I, I, I know what it's like to want somebody to hear you. So um, I'll make sure I answer. All right, well, thank you everyone so much for coming out. Thank you everyone. Let's give it up for the speakers. And let's give it up for Dev for doing an amazing job moderating tonight. Appreciate it. And just a few more things. Um